Hi, and welcome to Dr. Cheryl's Podcouch, where we talk about all things parenting and mental health. When you're done listening today, please rate, review, and subscribe. Today, I am very, very excited about my guest. Estella Rasmus is an award-winning journalist, writing coach, and an adjunct instructor at NYU. She also teaches for Writer's Digest. Her work has appeared in the New York Times and the Washington Post, and her articles for both have gone viral with more than 500 comments on her New York Times piece. She has appeared on Good Morning America and other shows, and her articles have been mentioned on The View. She is a host for Freelance Writing Direct podcast, which you can find on iTunes and Spotify. And her book, Writing That Gets Noticed, Find Your Voice, Become a Better Storyteller, Get Published, is coming out from New World Library and received a Buy This Book review from Publishers Weekly and is available online and wherever books are sold. You can find her online on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and her website, and you can find her socially at Estelle S. Erasmus. Welcome, Estelle. Thank you so much for having me, Cheryl. I'm thrilled to be here. I am so excited for you to be here. And it's interesting because your book is obviously about writing and getting noticed and getting picked up and published and could be for freelancers, could be for authors. But because my lens of the world is mental health and parenting, I put together a set of questions that I hope um, will be unique for you, but also will really resonate with any parent. So I'm going to dive in. That's okay. Fantastic. I love your questions. Okay. So the subtitle of your book, Writing That Gets Noticed, Find Your Voice, Become a Better Storyteller, Get Published. So the parents that are listening today, they're not all writers. I know that many do aspire to be because when I talk to people, it's amazing how, how many people have a book or, or maybe an article inside of them. But can you share how finding your voice can be helpful to parents and how's it been impactful to you as a mother and how do you think it can be impactful to other parents? Well, when I was a journalist and a magazine editor, and so I wrote uh, from the lens of being a journalist. So it wasn't really my personal experiences. It was in this very kind of third person way that this is what you need to do in a in service articles more more than anything. And when I had my daughter um, and I had her in midlife and I had her after getting married in midlife. And so it was a really big change after having a career um, being single into my 40s working in magazines. Um, so my lifestyle definitely changed having my daughter. And I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I knew that I couldn't go back to the type of level of time spent in career that I had before, where I would stay to the office at nine at night, and then I would go home, and then I would start again the next morning. It just was not possible with a little baby, and I knew that. I had also made a transition before I had my daughter, when I was dealing with infertility, into working in medical education, which, again, was it required a lot of energy and time, but I was able to leave a little earlier and I had a little bit more leeway. But with my daughter, I thought, I don't want to write 
about what I wrote about before, and I wasn't sure. So one day we went to a reading group when she was, I think it was, she was maybe like two and a half years old. And everybody went to the reading group in a circle. So she went in the circle with everyone and me. And then all of a sudden she pushed her way forward into the middle of the circle and she began to dance. I was brought with fear, like, will people yell at me or say, put your daughter back? But people just admired her and watched her kind of joy in the moment. I went home and I wrote an essay about it called And She Dance. And this was the first time that I'd written something from my perspective as a mother that wasn't journalistic. That wasn't just, you know, this is what you need to do. This is how you should find safety tips for your kids or things like that. There was a live show which was called Listen to Your Mother, and it still exists. And somebody told me they're doing the first New York performance of Listen to Your Mother, and they have auditions now. And I thought this would be something really fun to do. I really wasn't having much excitement, you know, dealing with the baby, trying to figure out I was older than most of the moms. I didn't really know how to navigate making new friends. I tried. Um, I went to groups and things like that. So I went to listen to your mother's audition. And the director of listen to your mother was Amy Wilson. So I auditioned and I read my piece and she danced and the producer came over to me and said that was really good what's your background and I was so kind of intimidated that I didn't say I was a magazine editor-in-chief I was I just said I, I'm in communications <laughs> so I was just because I just felt like a fish out of water as a mother, as a new mother, as somebody navigating, making new friendships, building a new career for myself, figuring out what I, I wanted to do. I was kind of, my midlife crisis was having my daughter. <laughs> so so um, I did get accepted um, to be in the show and I didn't check my email. And then like maybe a few days later, five days later, I saw the email and I responded. And they were like, we didn't know if we should replace you because everyone else responded so fast. And it was just so new to me. I had a magnificent time. People who were in the show, Alicia, Alicia Reiner, I hope I'm saying her name right, Alicia Reiner, who was Fig in Orange is the New Black, she read a piece and Abby Sher was there. And Patty Chang Anchor, who wrote the book, um, Some uh, Fear, uh, Some Nerve about fear and doing things, fear, fearful things. Anyway, I had such a great experience and everyone there was doing some newfangled thing, which I'd never heard of before called blogging. And I said, well, what's blogging? And they said, oh, blogging is when you tell your stories. I said, oh, I said, and how much do they pay? <laughs> I said, oh, no, no, blogging, you have to pay to set up a blog and set up a website. And the idea was so unusual to me but there was a community they were all like oh yeah I'll see you at blogger and, blah, blah. and I, I wanted in I loved the community from listen to your mother they were writers 
they or they tried to write they were professional uh they were mothers they weren't all young ones and i thought okay i want in so i started a blog musings on motherhood and midlife and then i got into the blogging community and i remember going to blog her it was so big it was in new york and i had won a um an award for blog her voice of the year for a op-ed that i wrote about mothers and more which is a now defunct organization but i wrote about the value of a mother's work and women's work and i did win a blog her voice of the year but i everybody was going to all different events and i wasn't invited to anything and i remember going in the bathroom and i felt good about winning the award i felt good about seeing bloggers but i was kind of teary because i thought i don't really know anyone i don't know the larger blogging community and i said okay Estelle, you got to jump in there and so i signed up to do blogging for different organizations i i got i got people to vouch for me and i got into um i can't even remember that there was something girls the clever girls collective there were all different ones and the travel writers blog bloggers um travel mama i think and so i became part of these groups and when the next time that i went to blog her which was in i think two years later people knew me i was invited to everything i was a part of the group and let me tell you doing all that helped my mental health it helped me feel that i fit in it helped me make friends that i still have to this day and it was an excellent way to learn social media because the people who are adept at social media before even TikTok and before, you know, maybe when Twitter was in its nascent days were the bloggers. And so that's how I managed to get so many followers. It wasn't for my journalism or even essay work, which came later, kind of in my second year of getting published, being able to pivot and being able to mentally start from a beginner mindset and yet determine that I would be where I wanted to be was very motivating for me and very ultimately inspiring for the students that I ended up working with when I started teaching again and getting back into writing for publications, which is why you mentioned New York Times, Washington Post. I've written for 150 publications or more. And that's since getting back into the publishing world in 2015, after blogging, after Listen to Your Mother. Yeah, so what I love about what you're, what you're sharing about your story, what I get from it, there's lots that can be, get, be gotten from it, but what I'm getting from it is I realized after having a child, it can be lonely. You can feel like an imposter and finding your community and your own passion and voice is really critical. So it's it, it it could have taken you on, or you could have been in a really different place, but because you were really in tune with, this is what I need, and I think I have to take some risks, and uh, it's not easy to take these risks, but I'm pretty sure it's gonna be worth it. 
that's what got you into probably a pretty good place in terms of getting back into your career, but also getting connected to even a new community outside of bloggers, but just other moms and other working moms, which was a community that was a good fit for you. Absolutely. Um, and it really helped as I started doing more and connecting more with these moms because we were all in the same boat, you know, even if they were different ages or different stages of their career, we all could relate to this universal experience of having a child or children. And I always say I was one and done because I had my daughter in my 40s. So, but it still opened up the doors to me feeling like I belong to like a new segment of the community, uh, one that I had never even perhaps been interested in before. And I've written about that for Parents Magazine, for Parenting, for a lot of different places. I've written about how I didn't always want to be a mother. But once I realized that my husband would be such a good father, I thought, you know what, I'm willing to give this a crack. And I really want this for him, for me. And I'm so glad that I did, because as I wrote in the five minute memoir for Writer's Digest, my daughter really became my muse. She mm -hmm. really inspired me to write even different and start writing about parenting for the New York Times and the Washington Post. And I know one of your questions was about the Washington Post. It is. It, there was an article um, that you had called, it may be bully proofing your child or how to bully proof your child. That was for the New York Times. Oh, yes. that one was for the New York Times. Oh, yes. So the Washington Post was, let's talk about that one first. Okay. My child is out of control. So yes. can you tell us about that trip to Vermont? What happened? And how did you get this idea to share this personal parenting experience? Because I think that's what my listeners are going to resonate with is every day, every one of us as a parent has a, oh my gosh, moment that either I want nobody to ever know this ever happened or, oh, I think the world would be better if the whole world knew this happened. So how, what happened on that trip and what, and tell us about what, how that changed your career. Yeah, I think, I, I don't remember how old my daughter, I think that was in 2015. So she's 14 now. Do the math. I guess she was, <laughs> I don't know. I can't think of it. Yeah, she was six five or, seven or, or something. She was like five or something. Uh -huh. And she was acting out. She was just being very ornery and just being kind of rude and not on a regular schedule. I just thought about it. And I, I was like, I have to write about this. I have to write this down. And I thought, well, you know what? I haven't, I think at the time I had been in Marie Claire, that had been my first kind of entree back into the publishing world. And remember, I'd had a big gap in time between being a magazine editor and in the, in the late nineties, the late nineties up to the early oats. And I had a, a, a big gap in writing, uh, aside from blogging and like little mom places. And I thought I want to get into a big publication. So I did get into Marie Claire for a piece that I wrote about an old roommate I had, but that had nothing to do with momming. This one, I thought I want to write about this. 
I want it to get into the Washington Post. I had the name of the editor, who's still the editor there, Amy Joyce, and I wrote it up in whole because somebody said, you have a better chance if you write it completely. It was around the holidays. It was, you know, uh, Christmas, Hanukkah, around those holidays, very close to New Year's. And I sent it to her. And I think I said something, my child is out of control. Or I said, my, I don't remember the, the title, but it was very similar to what the title ended up being. The way that I believe I got her attention is that instead of doing what at the time a lot of the bloggers were doing and a lot of people who wrote about parenting were blaming it on their kids, my spin was she is picking up this bad behavior from me, from things that I'm doing. So I put a spin on it. If she, you know, put a moratorium on meltdowns, right? So I gave an example of her doing a meltdown. And then I said, but when the cable guy didn't come or when I was having road rage, when somebody cut in front of me, I need to watch my language and I need to watch and, and navigate through my. And then I gave some research showing that kids watch what the parents are doing and that so I've spun it in such a way that the onus was not on her. It was on me. And I even ended by saying, and I'm going to watch myself because she is watching me, that kind of thing. It went nuts. Uh, the, she emailed me, the editor emailed me and said, I love it. We're going to run it right around New Year's or right before New Year's. And they ended up calling it, my child is out of control. Here's what I'll do to fix it in 2015 and beyond. And so I would also say, so I said, did very service-oriented way of doing it. So I, I said the problem. I said why it came from me. And then I said how I'm going to fix it and how I'm going to fix it myself. And then she's going to learn. And that went viral. It was everywhere. And I got lots of opportunity out of it. And in fact, uh, a few months later, maybe towards the end of the year, the editor invited me to do a reprieve and say, you know, how has she worked with the, with the, and I made it like a report card kind of scenario, how I set it up. So I did get two pieces out of it and I ended up writing almost a dozen pieces for the Washington Post. So it was wonderful for the parenting section called On Parenting. I love that. And so what I what I get out of that story is that you were willing to be vulnerable and to expose yourself as you were, you know, go, getting into parenthood. And by doing so, that's what people connect with. And I'm sure that's part of like finding your voice is knowing that, yes, all these insecurities that we have or these experiences, we are not the only ones. We are not alone in it. And other people appreciate it when somebody else puts themselves out there and goes, oh my gosh, my kid's a spoiled brat. And guess whose fault it is? It's my fault. My kid is out of control. Guess whose fault it is? Me. I gave him sugar all day long. You know, whatever it is. <laughs> and so I love that you have been a model for that and that you have had these experiences leading you to the ability to even not that the book is necessarily about that, but you but you're writing a book about writing that gets noticed. And it's almost like, I think, in order to have writing that gets noticed, you need to be pretty self-aware. 
You need to be aware of yourself or if you're listening to someone else's story and telling theirs, a really good listener and pulling things out of that that you can then share with the world. There's something I really was struck by in your book that I want to I want to get to, which is you start the book off talking about creativity, which I love talking about creativity and um, how the first year of motherhood left, let, I loved how you put this, the first year of motherhood left you at a loss for words, right? And that's profound because you're a writer, but you've included 13 ways to find your best ideas, many of which have to do with mental state and flow. So can you share some of these, maybe your top two or three, um, so that anyone, whether they're an aspiring writer or not, can get a sense of how they can get engaged with their own creative process in whatever area of their life could really benefit from it? It's really kind of, get, like you said, getting into a state of flow. And one of the things that I do that I find so helpful is I watch bad reality TV or just reality TV with the captions on. I feel like it's kind of a left brain, right brain thing. Like while I'm watching TV, my mind is kind of just going and thinking of different ideas and formulating, even though I'm not sitting at a computer screen, staring at a blank screen. And having the captions, it's words, right? I say in the book, words are my playground. And it really is because having words flash across the screen, you're seeing a couple of things. You're seeing dialogue. You're seeing w interesting words because nobody's going to say a boring thing on reality TV. They're always going for the interest. And so I feel that that is one of my little secret tips that help me kind of get more productive. Another thing is... uh Music is just such an enormous way to get connected to kind of your beta state, which again is where the creativity flows. Because what people, the mistake people make is they think I'm going to sit at the computer and I'm going to write. And really your brain doesn't just, you know, turn on the clock when you're sitting staring in front of a computer screen. Your brain is thinking of ideas while you're taking a shower or while you're going for a jog, while you're working out at the gym. My piece that I wrote about my dad who has Alzheimer's singing my dad back to me, I literally took my iPhone and wrote it in the notes section when I was at the beach in the Jersey Shore and I saw a wave crash and I saw that that would be the last stanza of my essay. The brain is always working. And one other thing that I would say is if you're stuck and if you're still not coming up with ideas, just start writing and then change your format. So let's say you're writing in Times Roman I would make it Comic Sans or I would make it Garamond. Just that switch of changing the format does spark ideas. And be a student of light. Be somebody who is curious. Listen to conversations around you. Just be aware. I mean, there's so many more tips that I give in the book about doing Google alerts and about uh, ways to really maximize the things that you hear around you, which I'm so excited to have that my book out in the world so that people can learn all those tricks and tips. Absolutely. 
I do that too, by the way. I change my font depending sometimes on the mood or the tone or what I'm writing about. Even though I know maybe eventually it's gonna just be Times New Roman, it does help me. I totally agree with you, but I don't know that I consciously thought about that. It's just something I just naturally do. I just change fonts. I even change sometimes font sizes. Like I just play around in that way. So the last thing I want to ask you about, and you are right in your book, there are just so many tips and ideas and Estelle's edge and all these great things that you have in there. But one thing that stuck out for me was, um, I talk a lot about the power of writing and most people that I work with, they know they'll say, I know I need to journal. So I really encourage a lot of journaling. So I was encouraged and surprised and happy to see that you also um, encourage your readers to do the same. So why do you think that journaling is important? Well, as I say in the book, it's not just journal journaling in the way of um, writing a diary entry. It's when you journal, uh, it's kind of capturing a moment in time. And I would use dialogue. I would use the actual words and I would be as descriptive as possible of your emotional state at the time, of the emotional state of the person that you're talking to. So it wouldn't just be like when I wrote a journal, when I was in high school, I wrote, I went to the movies. It was a really good movie. Uh, we had popcorn at the movies. I would go, if you're a writer and you want to use your journal at some point, I would say something like, the, the buttery popcorn slid over my tongue. And as I ate it, I thought how heartbreaking that the girl lost her parents in the movie because that made me think of. So you're filling in all these blanks. So it's journaling with a purpose, I call it. I love that. I really do. And I'm just thinking about all the different parents that are listening, the different ages of their kids. And I think about, you know, when they're younger, there's so much happening all the time, that zero to five. And then there's a little reprieve in those elementary school years, but a lot of cute milestones. And then they get to be tweens and teens. And I think it feels really hard for most people again. And, and now there's so many people even talking about kids in college. So I think it's such a wonderful way that anybody who's, wanting to get more creative or maybe has aspirations for writing because I know so many people do. You can almost both be journaling how you're experiencing life and your kids and your career, whatever is happening in your life, and also be priming your brain for creativity, for exploration, for maybe taking your personal thoughts and experiences and being willing to share it with others, whether in writing or even verbally. I, I got that from this book too, that it could just help you also just, like you said, be a storyteller, a verbal storyteller. So you don't have to just do it as, as writing tasks, but also just how to tell good stories as well. And that helps you in life also. It helps you in any situation. You go to, you want to set a case for the teacher, for your child in school to be able to speak or write in a way that gets noticed and how to craft that, which I talk about in my book. That is a way that you can move forward and get what you need at, for your child, for yourself, your children, for your family in life. Yeah, I love that. I love that so much. So it was such a great joy to really be able to read your book and see the many ways actually could really enhance your life from 
work to just being maybe more verbally expressive to helping your kids when they need help with their own writing to eventually leading to, huh, do I have something to share? Do I want to start a blog? It doesn't need, you know, to be this huge blog with tons of ads and be monetized. You know, there's so much thought sometimes in the world that now blogging has to be a business. I think it can also just be a place where it's like, hey, I have this small community, but they're really engaged and I get something out of it and I get a little feedback and it makes the world a better place. So it can be from that small to, you know, you want to be a big writer and everything in between. So thank you so much for coming on. I wish you all the best with writing that gets noticed. I know it's going to get noticed. It's super helpful, very practical. Um, and it's been just a real joy talking to you. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks so much for having me, Cheryl. It's been such a pleasure. And I loved having you on my podcast, Freelance Writing Directs. So it, this has been a mutual you know, both ways. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think true for anybody who's listening, who does, uh, who already is a writer or aspires to be a writer. I think Freelance Direct is a gift of a podcast. You get so access to so many different people in the industry that you can get so much from. So thank you all for listening today. Um, please rate, review, and subscribe. Those kinds of ratings mean everything to podcasters. And until the next time.